Thank you, choir. Thank you, soloist. My, how God has prepared us for this moment. Father, we wait upon you. We anticipate your powerful truth penetrating our hearts and our minds and our lives. And Lord, when we leave this place of celebration to you, may we be changed, brand new, equipped afresh for the living of these days. You speak. I've got nothing to say. Let me get out of the way. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I think all of us are at least vaguely familiar with The Wizard of Oz. It was written in 1900 by Frank Baum, and it's become a classic. It's been made, it's a thick book, by the way, Broadway play, the music that was in the musical that was put on Hollywood was Somewhere Over the Rainbow made Judy Garland famous. Uh, it, it's, it's a powerful story. It's the first fairy tale written by an American. First one, 1900. And it has some great fundamental truths. If you remember the story of Cyclone, that's an antique word now. We use tornado. A cyclone struck Kansas, and there's a little girl, Dorothy, and the little dog, Toto. She had a head injury, and she was whoosh, out to another place, not knowing where she was, trying to find her way back home. Someone says you had to go and find the great Wizard of Oz in the land of Oz. And he would be able to give you direction that you will get back home. So she said, where do I begin? And the instructor said, you just go down that yellow brick road. Just walk down that yellow brick road. So Dorothy and Toto begin to walk down the yellow brick road. And the story tells of all the situations in which they found themselves. First, there was a scarecrow, remember? And the scarecrow, Dorothy engaged with the scarecrow, and the scarecrow said, I've got a problem. I don't have a brain. Oh, I want a brain. And Dorothy said, hey, come on with me down the yellow brick road. And I am told that the great wizard of Oz can do a lot of things, and the wizard is going to tell me to get back home to Kansas. And also the wizard might be able to give you a brain. The scarecrow said, I'm ready to go. Then they go a little farther down the road, and they run into a tin man. And the tin man tells Dorothy, I've got a problem. I don't have a heart. No feeling, no compassion. I want to have a heart like everybody else. And Dorothy says, well, come on. We're going to see the wizard. <laughs> and maybe he can give you a heart. And so he gets in the parade. They go down that yellow brick road, and they run into a lion, king of the beasts. The lion said, I've got a problem. I've got a big problem. I'm supposed to be so strong, but I don't have any courage. I want courage. And Dorothy said, we're going to see the wizard there in the land of Oz, and maybe he can give you courage. And so here's that little parade. 
Toto and Dorothy, a little blonde-headed girl. And here is the scarecrow and the lion and the tin man. And they go through all kind of obstacles, if you remember the story. They, they come to a ditch. They have to build a bridge across a ditch. They go to a high hill, and they don't think they can make it. And they meet all kinds of people from flying monkeys to mushkins. And, and then finally, they even go and find a chariot pulled by little mice, and all this involved into a, a thrilling fairy tale until finally they get to see the wizard, the Wizard of Oz, the mighty Wizard of Oz in the lands of Oz in the Emerald City. Everything was green. Everything was emerald in color. And they go before the wizard, and Dorothy makes a request, and a long story short, the wizard said, well, I can't give the scarecrow brains, and, and I certainly can't give the lion courage, and I can't give the tin man a heart. And so he goes through all of this fancy excuse-making, and they knew, oh, the great wizard had the power to do it. And then remember little Toto, the dog in the movie? He goes up, and there's a wizard behind this curtain, and a little dog comes and begins to pull the curtain, and the curtain falls down. And the wizard is just a little, little guy there who had been a con artist all of these years. With a loud microphone, he had fooled all the people of Oz. He had them wearing glasses that made everything green. And he had explained to them to build him a palace. And he went through all of these sleight of hands, mystical things. And then Dorothy looks up at him and says, in so many words, you're a phony. You're not real. You are humbug. That was the word in the story. You're humbug. And the wizard just admits all that. And finally they go, and he says, I can't help you, but let me tell you what I can do. So he ultimately takes the scarecrow, and he takes his head off and stuffs something in his, in his, in his brain in the head cavity. He said, well, now maybe you can think you've got a brain. Then, then he goes over, and he takes a lion and says, drink all this green stuff, and that green stuff will get inside of you, and that green liquid will give you courage. That's what you want. He took the tin man and cut a hole out of the tin and put in there a little red thing that looked like a heart, and then he soldered it back in place and said, well, now you've got a heart. And he said, Dorothy, I can't help you. I can't get you back to Kansas. ha. <laughs> I wouldn't know where to begin. But what happened in the story ultimately is that suddenly the moral, the basic truth of the Wizard of Oz comes out. And it's simply this. It's the New Age thinking way back in 1900. Try harder. You've got what you need already in your life. Just bring it out. The lion, oh, you've got courage. Just, just go and act like you've got courage. The scarecrow, oh, you've got a brain. Just give yourself and develop that brain. 
The tin man, you've got a heart and compassion, and the symbol of all of this, all of a sudden, their whole lives were, was in, were indeed upgraded. Their whole lives, just by trying harder. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the wisdom of the world, is it not? I remember as a little guy, my mother would read to me something about a, a, the little engine that could. I forgot the name of it. I remember the words, though. The engine goes up the hill. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. Yeah, at the top of the hill going, I thought I could. I thought I could. That's it. You've got whatever you need to give you purpose and put your life together. Just try harder, work harder, get up early, get an education. But you know, there's another whole realm of wisdom. It's God's wisdom. And God's wisdom takes man's wisdom. Now, don't misunderstand me. Spirituality is not the opposite of education. Education has a part, but education and development and determination and understanding who we are has a role but education and the world's wisdom will never find happiness or fulfillment in any single person. There's always a little more beyond. And so we come to the town, the city of Corinth. They specialized in wisdom. Man, the Corinthians were all about wisdom. Man, Athens, man, the, the citadel of philosophy. The early philosophers, Euripides, Plato, Aristotle, all of their man's wisdom, and wisdom was the currency of the day. Power, also currency of the day. And also hedonism, currency of the day. They're in Corinth. And now Paul goes and says, man, I, I see you've got all this going for you, but he said, I want to tell you about a different kind of wisdom. And he goes to this pagan, universal, multiracial, multicultural, multilinguistic city of Corinth and said, I want to tell you about God. And of all things, in all places, he started a church. He founded the body of Christ. And it was a booming church, people from all sorts of life. It was a phenomenal thing, a supernatural thing. And Paul goes away, leaves people there to disciple and tell the rest of the story of the gospel. But the church suddenly becomes more like Corinth and their thinking than Corinth becomes like the wisdom of God, the thinking of the church. Sound familiar? Are we becoming more like the world or is the church penetrating the world in which we live? That's a big question. That's a big question. So we come to Corinthians, and we've already been introduced to what I have summarized. We come to the second chapter, and it's very, very interesting how it begins. Now, remember what's happening. Paul had found the church. He'd been away. The church had gone backwards in their morals, and he's going to get to all that. 
He's going to say what's right and wrong, what's true of someone who's a Jesus follower. But he's going to get to that. But he's putting a foundation down. He's answered some questions that he had been asked. And he's writing a letter back to the church. He said, I'm going to come and deal with all of this. Let me give you a preamble of what's going to happen and needs to happen in your life and in the body of Christ there in Corinth. And it is so relevant. It is so over-the-plate practical for where we are now in our America, in our cities, and in the city in which we live. Look what he says in the second chapter. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or with human wisdom as I proclaim to you the testimony of God. Paul said, I didn't come overwhelming you with brilliant $50 words. I didn't come try to appeal to you and they'd say, whoo, Paul is, oh, he is so erudite. By the way, he could have come like that. Nobody had better credentials than the Apostle Paul in the academic philosophical area, even in the religious area. Nobody had better credentials than Paul. But he said, I didn't come to you trying to overwhelm you. He said, boy, he is brilliant. Boy, he's giving us so many wonderful things. He said, my approach wasn't like that. He said, I came and I gave you the basic testimony of God. He said, I just told you in the founding of the church, how you can get right with God, how I got right with God, and how you can get right with God. And then the next verse, he said, I just came to you saying one thing. I presented to you Jesus Christ crucified. That was it. And he said, therefore, you responded to the meaning of the cross And your response wasn't because you were convinced, overwhelmed. You responded because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, touched your heart and your life and your mind and changed you and radically changed you. Why did, I ask you, the message of crucifixion of Christ Why was it adequate? Why was it the place to begin? We need to remember the cross. The cross gets you and I, as it did those Corinthians, right with God. That's where you start. We can't do business anywhere until I get right, you get right with God. And Jesus Christ on that cross died for you and me. So we have an entree all the way to God. We don't go on our own merits. We go by grace on the gift of God. He died for you and me in your place and in my place. Therefore, that's how we get right with God. That's what Paul told the Corinthians. This is how you get right with God. And then he says, you're right with God, you get right with yourself. A lot of us have to forgive ourselves, get over ourselves. And then he said, and there's that horizontal bar, he said, then you get right with everybody else. Isn't that where we begin our Christian life? Forgiveness and grace. I get right with myself. I can get right with others. 
And Paul said, that's the message I gave you when I came. Christ crucified. That's where you began. And tragically, we're going to find out a little parentheses here. They stayed right there. (laughs) They never did grow up. And therefore, we're going to see in the next chapter another category of people called carnal Christians. A carnal Christian is someone who has gotten right with God, received Christ, gotten right with themselves, and they just stayed right there in kindergarten in the first grade of Christianity. (laughs) And they've been there for years. They haven't gone anywhere else. And people like that, you know what happens to you? You have Christ, the Holy Spirit is in your life, but you're not utilizing that. You're not growing up. You're not maturing. You're not understanding things. You just have the basic testimony of beginning. I prayed a little prayer, and I was baptized, and man, I'm okay. But you're living a carnal life, a life not so different from someone who'd never known God and never received forgiveness and never been to the cross. All of that is there, but you stayed in kindergarten. You stayed in the first grade. You haven't gone on. And Paul goes on and says, I gave you my testimony. That was the beginning part. And then he continues in this chapter, and what does he say? Listen carefully. He says, I proclaim to you the testimony of God, for I resolved to know nothing among you while I was with you except Jesus Christ crucified. Verse verse 3, I came to you in weakness, With fear and trembling, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. I didn't use rhetoric or persuasive ways. You came to Christ when you saw you get right with God in this way. And therefore, I presented only to you Jesus crucified. There was a church in which they had Jesus right above the pulpit in a stained glass window. And the pastor was a relatively small man, and he would speak. But one Sunday, he had a guest speaker came. He was a large guy, and he was speaking. And a little girl with her mother on the front row said, Where's that guy who usually speaks up there? This guy speaking now is so big, I can't see Jesus. I can't see Jesus. Paul said, I didn't come to you with all of my philosophical moorings and utterances. He said, I came to you so you could see Jesus. Christ crucified. But then Paul goes on to say, but there's more to Christianity than just staying in the first grade. And then he continues here with tremendous truth. Look at it. He starts in verse number six. He said, we do not, however, speak a message of wisdom among the truth. He said, we do speak a message of wisdom among the truth. He said, there is more for you to understand. And it is God's wisdom. We've already seen in chapter 1, what was God's wisdom? Jesus. That's it. God's wisdom is Jesus. And Paul says, I want to give you more wisdom. 
You've stayed there in kindergarten, the first grade. Now I want to give you God's wisdom, and look what God's wisdom is. This is to those who are growing up, who are maturing, but rulers of the age who are coming to nothing, we declare God's wisdom a mystery, big word, a mysterion that had been hidden and that God designed for our glory before time began. What's he saying? He's saying, I came to you with a simple message of Christ crucified, but he said, I want to come to you now for those who are maturing and want to grow up with your faith. I'm going to tell you the mysteries of God. What does that mean? The word mysterion is used 27 times in New Testament. Used three times, once each in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's used four times in the book of Revelation. And he comes and says, here is a mystery, and Paul uses it 20 times in his epistles. It's something that is hidden, that had not been seen, and now it's uncovered. In the Greek, it is the word for mouth, mouth. It's mouth. And Paul says, now God has opened his mouth, that which was hidden, Now we see it in Jesus Christ, and now you see you move on through and you get a deeper level of the understanding of how God operates in the world, in history, and in your life. The mystery has been revealed. Did you hear that voice? Did you? Anybody hear the the music? Did Did you pick up any music just then? What about those pictures? Did, boy, there's pictures going through. Did it, it, why didn't we hear or see? It's because we do not have those things that would connect us to the spiritual world that's going all through us, the Internet that's going all through us. It's all there. It's in the spiritual realm. You say it's not real. Sure, it's real. We have that which would pick it up. We would tie into it. It is a mystery until we have a computer or a laptop or a radio or television, and we can pick up all this that's in the air. That's what Paul is saying. He says, I'm revealing to you Christ crucified, a historical fact, but also I'm giving you the wisdom of God, which has been a mystery that has been uncovered. C.S. Lewis, he talks about the different stratas of life. He talks about the plant life. The plant life gets a part of photosynthesis, relates to plants, so they grow. And then the next level up in life would be the animal life. Animals have all the senses that we have. They have the five senses, but yet they They lack so much that we have as human beings. And the next level of life is human life. Plant life, animal life, human life. And Paul is saying there is a life above human life and human wisdom, and that's the life in God and Jesus Christ. And he said that mystery has been uncovered. Now I'm presenting it to you, the truth of God. There's so many things, folks, we think, boy, I know all about it. I pretty well got the principles. Take the game of football. How many have watched a football game in the last 
a year. You watch any part, wave your hand. You, anybody's watched a football game, almost everybody. Now, most people here, all the guys, we think, well, I know football. And all the ladies generally think, well, the quarterback gets a snap and he can either pass or run with it or hand it off, you know. And then when you go across that line, the official says, touchdown, that's about, you know, what you know. And we guys, we think, well, we know some defensive formations and we know how they work against that and why did they not pass and why did they not run and we know all those things. I can tell you something, gentlemen. There's a whole area of football, and probably every sport, that those of us who just participate or may have played a little, we think, boy, I know it. But I can tell you, when you get down under the depth of it, there's a whole mystery down there, take football, that I can guarantee you 99% of those listening to my voice know little or nothing about. Let me show you exactly what I mean. Case Keenan played U of H. He's been a professional quarterback for many years now, several years. He's with Cleveland last year. And let me show you what happens when a professional quarterback is in a huddle, and generally speaking, the offensive coordinator, he has a way talks to that quarterback and calls two plays for the quarterback. The quarterback has a choice to run one of those other plays, one they prefer, and that's based on computer science in which they have looked at the defense, the defense, that team, the tendency would have according to down and distance at that moment in the field and that time on the clock. So they know the tendency of the defense. And that quarterback would have studied all week, many, many hours, the different defensive sets and what offensive play they would have that would be successful in that particular situation. Now, some of you didn't even realize that, but let me let you listen in. Case was quarterback from Minneapolis, had an all-pro year. And I want you to listen to him call one play. Now, he's received in his head two plays, right, to call. He calls one play in the huddle that affects all other 10 players on the team. And when he goes to the line of scrimmage, he can call the other play looking at how they're going to defense him. Or he can call yet another play. But I want you to hear he's simply going to call one play. And I want you to hear what all 10 other players listening would have to do as a result of this one play call, and it will blow your mind. This is not a series. He's just calling one play in the huddle. And by the way, you do not have all day to carry out this play. Listen to this play. All right, here's the play call. Why hustle to Boz right nasty F slingshot 12 wag hand back X crack? Can that? with 200 jet, Omaha, X-Dragon, halfback through. Hey, on the dribble cadence. That's one play. Now, he's got another one in his head. He can call another one at the line or another one at the line. Do you get that? That's one play. And this is the reason so many people who 
Boy, they run the 40 and 4-3 and they're 300 pounds and boy, they've got all the gifts. I don't see why they can't play because to be a pro football player, you better have sun between your ears and you'd better study all day before you get on the field. That is the mystery that we don't know. Now, Case is going to explain to us what that play means. And most of us won't even get that. Pretty simple run play. We're going to shift and hustle to a bunch formation and try to get some tells on the defense if we get the right front and rotation to can the play, to check the play to an easy pass play, which is also a strong side slide protection with a quick game routes uh, for good for one high safety on one side, two high safety on the other. Halfbacks on the check through easy. Did you think, gentlemen, you knew football before today? Did you? I thought I knew football. You see, there's a mystery there. There's another level that most of us do not get. Paul is saying, you've come to faith in Christ and Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit, not my eloquence, but he said, I want to tell you the wisdom of God, the deep mysteries that now God has unfolded unto you so you can grow up in your faith. You grow up in your knowledge, in your assurance, your purpose in life. It'll liberate you when I reveal to you this mystery, this mysterion. All this in the air, boy, we don't hear it, but we have to attach to it. God in Jesus Christ attaches you and me through his Holy Spirit to all that is going on in your life and my life so we can have a life that is bountiful. You get it? Paul goes on and says the secret of this, and he tells what happens when we attach to things of God. Verse 15, he said, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. What's he saying? He's saying when we attach ourselves to God in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit within us, and we can perceive and know and grow up, and all the mysteries, the secrets have been hidden through the ages. Paul said, I'm giving them to you. Now you don't operate on the wisdom of man. Man, if I had a better brain... Oh, if I have a better heart. Oh, if I had, no, not all, all of that has been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And now suddenly you'll see things you didn't see. You'll hear things you didn't hear. And you'll know things you didn't know. You say, well, I've heard that at funerals. That's in heaven. No, it's not. It's right now. Certainly it'll be in heaven. But look at the next verse. He said, these things God has revealed to you by his spirit. The mystery comes by the spirit. Oh, we just sit there and continue to say, oh, I'm a Christian, but your Christian life is shriveled up. It's not going anywhere. It's not dynamic. It's a shriveled life. And Paul is saying, man, the, the mystery of all this has been revealed to you now. And you can grow up, and he tells us exactly what the Holy Spirit does. What is the Holy Spirit? Where does the Holy Spirit come from? God the Father offers us his grace. 
His grace is demonstrated in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ enters our life, and there we have the Holy Spirit. Let me say it where everybody can understand it. When the egg of faith encounters the sperm of truth of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, there is conception and there is a new birth. You got that? When the ovum, the, the egg of faith, meets the sperm of truth of God in Jesus Christ, there is conception and there is a new life. That's what it means to be born again. That's what it means to be a new person in Jesus Christ. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit comes in your life and my life, and then Paul tells us, look what the Spirit does, showing to you and to me who want to understand and follow and grow up what it does. Look what he says. He said, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Holy Spirit searches us. Have you noticed that? It's been a little time. He'll search your life. He'll move into every area. He'll even look in the closet of your life. He'll even search and get down in the the secret basement of your life. The Holy Spirit searches all of us. What else does the Holy Spirit do? Verse 11, for we know a person's thoughts, even their own spirit within them, We know our thoughts. Nobody else knows our thoughts. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except by the Spirit of God. In other words, now he searches us, and now he knows our thoughts, and our thoughts we understand, but God in Christ and the Spirit, he begins to give you and me the thoughts of God. Think about that. Then he says in verse 12, what we have received... Is not the spirit of the world, natural, but the spirit is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. In other words, we receive Christ and the Holy Spirit comes in your life and my life, then we have understanding. You can study the ethics of Socrates and understand them without ever knowing Socrates. But you cannot understand the Bible or spiritual things without knowing Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit will come. We pray a little prayer, we come to Christ, and many times I say, well, you're a Christian. No, that really is an overstatement. We become a Christian when we begin to grow up and let the Holy Spirit operate in life. He searches us. He gets in our thoughts. He gives us understanding, and look what else the Holy Spirit does. He says, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spiritual words. The person without the Spirit does not accept, accept that comes from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerning, discerned only through the Spirit. What's he saying? This is fabulous, folks. The mystery has been uncovered. We come to Christ. We don't stay with eating baby food. Now we can grow up because the Holy Spirit searches us, gets into our thoughts and gives us the very thoughts of God. And we begin to have understanding of things we didn't understand before. 
And then we have that big, important, pregnant word, discernment. Boy, if we had discernment, it is the gift of the Spirit, we'll be able to see and understand people and situations and to make wise choices. You have a choice to make? How do we make it? On the basis of feeling, on the basis of wisdom? Yes, but our feeling and our wisdom is baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then our choices become clear and of God. What a fabulous thing. But we just sit there and shrivel up instead of growing up. The Holy Spirit is a stud. It's an acrostic. It's an acrostic. What is a stud? A stud in building is that, that piece that everything else is attached to. The stud holds everything else up. That's what the Holy Spirit does. We receive Christ, and that miracle takes place when the egg of faith meets what? The sperm of truth, and there is a new birth. Then the Holy Spirit comes in your life and my life and matures us, and the stud stands for he searches us. He takes and gives us God's thought, S-T-U. He gives us understanding, D. He gives us discernment. Are you tired of pablum? That's what Paul is saying. Are, are we tired of pablum? Relying on human wisdom instead of receiving the power of God's wisdom, which the Holy Spirit gives to us if we let the Holy Spirit begin to operate in our lives. And then it even gets, I think, clearer and more beautiful. He says in verse 13, the person with the Spirit makes judgment about all things, but such a person is not subject to human judgment. What is he saying? He's saying there will come a time perhaps in your life and my life, and by the way, it's soon going to be here. It's soon going to be here. When we look at man's law, human law, but we say there's a higher law that we answer to, there are higher principles we answer to, and we have to go against man's law in order to be true to a higher law, a spiritual law, a real law that comes from God. Illustration. We're going to begin in a few weeks to talk about immoral choices that people make in this world. And when we begin to teach biblical truths, a lot of people are going to say, oh, that's hate speech. You're breaking the law. That's hate speech. It's not. It's love speech. It's love speech. Because we know when in your life, in my life, in the life of everybody, when we move across the lines that God has grown for us, in time we move across those lines, it's a slippery, slippery slope into misery, oblivion, boredom, etc. And therefore, we speak love speech and we say, this is what God has prescribed for us. This is how we are then to live. And then look at the last of this. He said, who has known the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? Have you ever tried to instruct God? Somebody said, well, aren't you over the weather? And they laugh. And I say, no, I've given up the weather to God a long time ago. God knows what he's doing, folks. 
He's sovereign. Even in our darkest moments, he is teaching and moving, and that's what the human natural world does not understand. He's teaching and moving in our darkest moments, our moments of despair and loss and death and surfing and questioning and doubt and fear. God is moving there. If we rely on human wisdom, that's a dead-end street of oblivion, and we continue to shrivel up. But if we see God's wisdom and see what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives, a wonderful thing happens. The last verse. But we have the mind of Christ. That's what happens to us. We end up with the mind of Christ, and we see things we hadn't seen before. We, we hear things we haven't heard before. And God has prepared us for things that we didn't have any idea we needed. And this is the gift of the Holy Spirit, certainly in heaven, but it begins right now when we let the Holy Spirit begin to move and operate in your life and in my life. And therefore, the mystery has been uncovered and when Toto pulled back that little curtain and saw that the Wizard of Oz was a phony, but Paul puts, pulls back the curtain and we see that God in Jesus Christ is the power of life and the power of God. A man was brought up at the foot of the Matterhorn, lived there all of his early life, that little village. He got married, has three kids, now lives in Houston. He told his wife about living at the base of the Matterhorn, that gigantic mountain there on the Swiss-Italian border, over 15,000 feet high big and high and majestic, beautiful beyond words. And he told his wife and his kids all about life at the Matterhorn, about picnics, about wild animals there, about hikes, about little snow when it would come, about the beauty of it. And, and they just heard over and over again what it was like being brought up in a little village at the base of the great Matterhorn. And then fairly recently, they decided not to go to Colorado, but they went to Switzerland, and they got reservations in a little inn there that they said the windows of their room would open up and they'd see the Matterhorn. And so the kids weren't too excited. They wanted to go to Colorado. They'd seen mountains, and the wife was going along because that's all her husband had talked about, life at the base of the Matterhorn when he was a child. And so they checked in, but when they got there at night, it was dark, and so they didn't see the Matterhorn. They went in their room the next morning. The wife got up early, did her quiet time, and went over and just kind of, she just peeked out the window, and she said, that's how the Matterhorn looked, cloudy, couldn't see it, hidden, hidden, a mystery, I don't know. And then she just pulled the curtain back, and covered the window, and she said, oh, me, we may not have the right room, and the weather's going to be, we'll never really get to see the mountain. And a little while, her husband got up and got the kid, three kids up, and they came in, they were talking. And then the husband said, you know, 
let's try again if we can see this this mountain. Let's just look again. And they went to the window, and they pulled back the curtains, and all the clouds had been burned off. And it was magnificent. The beauty, the grandeur. And the kids gasp. The wife gasped. Even the husband gasped, though he'd been brought up at the foot of the mountain all during his childhood. Because now that which they had not seen, but it had been there all the time, it had been a mystery to them until the curtain was drawn back. And then they saw the grandeur of the Matterhorn of God's magnificent creation. Paul's pulled back the curtain, folks. And he says, here's Jesus Christ. And here's his Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit searching your thoughts giving you understanding, giving you discernment, and you have not a life that's shriveling up, but a life that is alive. 